If you're staying with me, how many of you have ever, how many of you have ever learned or tried to learn to play an instrument? Would you raise your hand? Have you ever uh, taken music lessons? Okay, quite a few of you. Quite a few of you. Okay. All right. I want to ask you something. If you said tomorrow, I want to learn to play the drums, and I want Tia to meet me at the church for the first few times, at least at first, because I, I don't have a drum set yet, and, and I don't know where I would play. I would drive my family crazy, so I would need to come to the church to practice. Let's just say that was the case. If she did that, and she agreed to that with you, and you came here the first week to learn how to play the drums, and my wife gave you, these are not best sticks over there. But anyway, but we if she gave you a pair of, which you know what? She might say they're the very best. Anyhow, if, if she gave you a pair of drumsticks and she said, okay, today for the first lesson, all we're going to do is just learn how to hold the drumstick. That's all we're going to do for the whole first lesson. For 30 minutes, for an hour, we're just going to practice and I want to show you why you hold it a certain way. I don't think I'm holding it right. But anyway, I'm, you get the point. So, you, so that's the first lesson. You would leave and you would go, wow, that was really thorough. This lady knows a lot about drums. But if you came back the second week and then she said, okay, today we're going to learn about how to hold the drumsticks. And then you came back the third week and she said, we're going to learn how to hold the drumsticks today. And for 52 weeks out of a year, you spent 52 lessons coming here learning how to hold the drumsticks. You'd quit long before you learned how to play the drums, I think. Unless you were just really enjoying my wife's company. But anyway, the point. And the third, the third thing she might do. What, if, what about this? What are the, this is a third way she could do. You're coming to learn to play the drums. You've got playing the drums. You've got drumsticks. What if she did this? What if you came here the first week and every time after you did the hold the drumsticks bit for 10 minutes... What if every time you got started to play the drums or ask a question or she was going to teach you something, instead what she did was she would just start saying this right here. And the crowd goes wild. <sighs> and you were like, oh, that was funny the first time. And then the second time, and the crowd goes wild. <sighs> and you did that for 30 minutes. And that was all she did was just kind of do the shtick in front of you with the... The crowd goes wild bit. You would be like, that lady's crazy. I want to get out of here. I'm not going to learn how to play the drums with this woman. Okay. If you came here to learn how to play the drums, you would need to learn to know how to hold the drumsticks. And you would also hope that you would get some encouragement and, and all of that. And you would be thinking about someday playing the drums in front of a group of people. But mostly what you would be coming for is to play the drums. And what I, the reason I begin this morning this way is because what I've been trying to tell you for a couple of months is an awful lot like that. Okay? Most churches in America today tell everybody two things that we do. We're here because Jesus died and rose again to forgive us of our sins so that someday we get to go be with him in the end. And most of our messages are on the drumsticks and the crowd cheers. 
Most of our sermons, most of our lives are spent in church on this idea that this is how we got started and this is where it ends. And there's not enough discussion about giving us a vision about the life in between. We came to Tia to learn how to play the drums. The fact that she needed to show us how to hold the drumsticks is very important, but it's only a first step. The fact that she sat back and cheered and told it and God gave us a vision for what it's going to be like someday when we're playing the drums and we've learned how to do it, that someday we're going to get this, you know, be able to play in front of a, a cheering crowd. That's a wonderful dream and vision and hope. But can we get to learning how to play the drums? For about two months now, the Lord has had me talk to this congregation in such a way. Not to, not to smear or, or to deny the reality of the forgiveness of sins or the hope of the kingdom come. But instead, rather, to think of things this way. To say, forgiveness of sins is a glorious truth that enters us into a new life. And at the end, we do get to be with God and live forever. And both of those things are beautiful. But they do not, in fact, teach us what happens after we believe. And that's what we've been talking about. And I want to continue that. Romans chapter 12 Romans chapter 12, this is going to kind of be a, a, a sort of walk through Paul in, in showing us how. Drilling down into the, the daily work of how, uh, of how to do something that he calls us to do here. Romans chapter 12, what I'm about to read to you is a good example of how Paul works and so do all of his letters. There are probably 13 in the New Testament that are his. And of those 13, which is 13 out of 27 works in the New Testament, almost half of the works in the New Testament come from one pen. And this man who wrote all of these letters usually begins his letters talking about what we ought to believe. How we ought to think about doctrine or belief. And then he usually ends up in the end of the letter talking about how we ought to behave, what we ought to do based on what we believe. If we believe this, then it would look like this in our daily practice. That's how Paul thinks. That's how his letters work. Romans 12 is no exception. For 11 chapters, Paul has been talking about what Christians at Rome ought to be believing. He's teaching them truth. But when he gets to chapter 12, then all of a sudden we shift to something else and we start talking about behavior, about practice, okay? So here comes Romans 12. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies. Let me stop there. He begs us, present our bodies. Present our bodies. Did you know the first thing that we have to do? There's a lot of people in church who think, I can't, uh, I can't measure up. I can't be them. I can't do that. I won't be able to uh, fulfill that commission or do that call. I can't sing that way, preach that way, get up and testify like that. I can't pray like that, whatever. You know what God's looking for most of the time is not so much about our ability. It's our availability. There was this guy named Gideon in the Bible. Gideon in the Bible is, okay, there's a war happening. Okay, pretend like today there's a battle. 
down there on Highway 7, in uh, just out here at Highway 7 and this uh, county road, okay? Okay, right there. And there's a battle happening. And it's not tanks and guns. We're back in ancient society, so people are fighting with swords and shields, okay? Now, there's a battle over there. The Bible says that the angel of the Lord went and found Gideon. Gideon was over there, like, let's say, in, uh, let, let, let's say down on, uh, by Kennard High School, back behind it, behind First Baptist, near the dump over there somewhere. Gideon was over there behind a wine press threshing his wheat. Now, it wasn't because he was brave that he was back there. There was a battle happening. And he was a battle-fighting age. But the Bible says that the angel of the Lord found him over there. And the angel of the Lord said, Gideon, hello there, mighty man of valor. Mighty man of valor. Gideon kind of looked this way and looked that way. Like the Three Stooges did. You know, remember that? Remember the Three Stooges when they would say, Gentlemen, gentlemen, please. And they would say, Oh, you mean us. Gideon says, You mean me, mighty man of valor? And he says, Yes, you, you, Gideon, you're a mighty man of valor. And he says, I'm, No, I'm not. And he says, Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. He says, You must have gotten cross coming through the Milky Way. It's not because I'm brave. That's why I'm over here. I've got a yellow streak running down my back. I'm a coward. That's why I'm over here. He says, the angel finally got tired of dealing with him. And he said, Gideon, the Lord is with you. And then Gideon bowed his back up after he thought about that and said, well, I guess I am a mighty man of valor. In Gideon's case, Gideon did not believe he had any abilities. All he had to do, what he finally came to, as many do in the Bible, many people do, is they get to that moment where they say, here I am. Availability. Availability. Jacob needs somebody to go check on the boys. He says to Joseph, Joseph, come here. And Joseph says, here I am. Amen. Eli says to Samuel, hey, the next time you hear that voice and you think it's me, just say, here I am. Here I am. Isaiah says, who shall, God says, who shall I send? Who will go for us? Here am I. Availability is often all that God is looking for. Present your Bodies, Paul says. That's what the first call to. Let me say it again. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. In other words, when Jesus told the disciples, follow me, he was saying, follow the pattern that you watch in me. I'm going to go to the cross and then I'm going to be resurrected and exalted. What I want you to do, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Go this way. This is the path, as the Mandalorian would say, this is the way. That's what he would say. I wanted to try that out on Sunday morning and see, because Thursday night it was a total fail. Look at you. I know what you're talking about. God bless your heart. God bless your heart. Love that dude. Okay, so... This is the way. And, and they stole that from the gospel of Jesus Christ. They stole. This is the way is the path, the way of the cross. This is what the, Satan was trying to tempt Jesus. Look, I'll give you all the kingdoms. Just bow down. No, I can't go that way. i got to go the way of the cross. Then he's in Gethsemane. Oh, Lord, if there's any way for this to not happen, let this cut pass. But it can't. I've got to go this way, the way of the cross. So present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God 
Now, ESV says, which is your spiritual worship, and I usually like ESV better than, than I do our standard from the past, but I will say this. King James has something going for it here when it says, which is your reasonable service, and the reason why is because the word reasonable there is helpful to get kind of at the root of something he's saying. It's the only rational thing to do. In other words... If you are dead in your trespasses and sins, if you can't save yourself, if God created you and then died to save you, then it's the only reasonable thing to do to give yourself to your maker and redeemer and say, God, I've made a mess out of this thing. Can you do anything with me? That's what he says is your reasonable service. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Then he says what that will look like. Don't be conformed or do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renew, renewal of your mind. Yes. By the renewal of your mind. Now, this is going to fall under one of those Paul, Pauline ideas where we have to work out our own salvation knowing that it's God who's working in us. The Holy Spirit works and we work. God sends the sunshine and the rain, and we can't do anything about that, but we plow the field, and we remove the obstacles from the, from the soil. We, we, we work on the soil like the farmer. We prepare the soil even though we count on God for the sun and the rain. God does His thing, and He expects us to do our thing. And here, He says, our thing is the transformation that comes by the renewing of your mind. Now, some of this transformational stuff can only happen because we're open to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit does His thing. That's right. There's stuff we can't do. I've been trying to fix stuff in people for years and the Holy Spirit can come get involved in the arrangement in five seconds. He can do more than I can do in five years for sure. And so the Holy Spirit's part of this transformational thing. But so are we. And that's why Paul says, present your bodies. I don't know if you've ever met anyone like this. But there are some Christian people who are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Let me try that again. They're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Paul doesn't say present your spirit. He said present your body. Present your body a living sacrifice. This is going to be, this Christian life, whatever it is, is going to be fleshed out in the body. That's what he says. Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay, preacher. How do I do that? I know you just said the Holy Spirit's got to do His thing. And all I can do is make myself available to that. What do I have to do? What does that look like? I'm glad you asked that question. Because I want to show you something in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. This is again Paul. And this is, this is the answer to the question, how do I cooperate with the renewal of my mind? Colossians 3 verse 1 says... If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He's basically saying, you are there. If Christ, if you're in Christ and He's in you and He's been raised and He's at the right hand, then that's where you are. Think about those things. Set your mind. The verb is set. And that's what I'm going to talk about. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Okay. You got a flower arrangement in your house? Maybe some kind, whether it's real or artificial, and you put it on a table. 
And let's say, for instance, you've got a dining room table and you have some kind of place setting or so, we'll call it a flower arrangement. And you set it in the middle of the dining room table. And that's where that thing sits most of the year. Now, when it's holiday time, because y'all don't usually eat at that table, because y'all are watching TV and eating around the table, TV with TV trays. But when you sit at this dining room table, okay, and you, when it's time for the holidays, or you're high, y'all are having a bunch of people over, somebody has to pick that thing up and physically move it and put it somewhere else. Because typically, it's set there. Okay. Everybody who does church work, pastors and their families, work, church workers of worship, of teaching, children, youth, whatever, maintenance of administration, everybody needs a break from time to time. The dream for me here is that everybody, including me, every 12 weeks, once every quarter, is cycling out of their job and they're always getting those breaks to renew themselves, to be renewed, to just be part of church, to just not have to do those things. That is a, a healthy pattern. In some cases, we need rotations that are monthly. And so where people just do something once a month. And so, and I believe in that's a healthy way to, to do things at, at church. It's probably a healthy way to do things at home and in your business too, if you think about it. But the point is, is that the typical place for me is to be set in the pulpit, okay? I'm given to teaching. That's the gifting. So I, that's typically where I sit. I don't always need to sit here. Sometimes I need to sit down. I need someone to minister to me. I need to listen. Sometimes we need to worship. Sometimes the Holy Spirit needs to take over. We all need to pray and no one needs to hear any preaching that particular day. And the Holy Spirit has that opportunity in my heart every day to do that. And I don't believe the Holy Spirit, if it is the Holy Spirit, will do it every Sunday because we need the Word of God. But I do believe that He will do it if we're open to it. And God knows I am. I'm ready to pray for people. I am. Now, having said that, oh, it's just a little plug. But anyway, that, the point I want to make is my mind is set and my place is set in the pulpit regularly. Okay, this is what Paul is talking about with our minds. Yes, as Christians, you can go on vacation. You can relax. You can, you can come home and veg out and do something that isn't spiritual. You don't have to go to church every night. You don't have to spend every waking moment that's not in work, at work, uh, reading the Bible and praying. But, but, our minds should be set there. That flower arrangement is normally there. We move it for holidays. We move it for vacation. My mind needs to be regularly set on the things above. Amen. I need to saturate and soak my life in Scripture. That's what he's saying. We're, he's called us to the renewal of our minds, and the way to do that is to set our minds on things that are above. Now, someone will say then, well, preacher, what will that look like? If I'm supposed to have my mind on things above and, and in heaven, what am I going to be thinking about all day long? And I'm glad you asked that question. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Philippians 4, verse 8. Paul says here, finally, brothers, 
Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Let's take that first one. The first one in Greek is aletheia, and it's truth. You know what's scary about today? Most of you don't know this, okay? I know that you don't because I've done this enough times to know it. It's a statistical problem, absolute. Most of you don't know that there is a, there used to be until about 50 years ago, a general understanding about what truth is. And that was truth in, the def, in, in Webster's Dictionary says, correspondence with reality. The truth is what corresponds with the real. Okay? But in the last 50 years, there has been a shift in the Western civilization so that now many philosophers and academics and politicians and media uh, members and those that are in the elite classes of, of, and those in power, they think that truth not the correspondence view, but the consensus view of truth. So that truth isn't what corresponds to reality, but it's what a group of people can get together and agree on. That is frightening. That is a terrifying position. And that means that your community and my community may never communicate again. Because if, you're, if truth is just something that you and your family or you and your group have come to and we have our truth and you have your truth, then we will never be able to have any kind of community anymore. This idea of consensus truth versus correspondence truth. But I want to tell you what the Bible says about truth. Jesus prayed for his disciples. In John 17 and 17, he said, Sanctify them. Through your truth, Amen. your word Amen. is truth. Amen. Your word is truth. So if I'm going to think on the things that are true, I'm going to have to think about the word. And what that means is let's do that in practice. That means if you've got a teenage girl here, what you're saying to that teenage girl is, in what Paul is, would be getting at, would be something like this. Think, have you, look, present your bodies and have your mind renewed. Don't let your mind be like everybody else's in the world. Let your mind be renewed by setting your mind on things above, specifically the things that are true and just and pure, etc. And the things that are true are God's <laughs> word. So here's what you do. You stop thinking about yourself as a teenage girl in terms of I'm worth the amount of people who respond to my social media post. I'm worth what other people say about my physical attractiveness. I'm worth who my family is, how much money we have, where, uh, how talented I am as a singer, etc. Whatsoever things are true. What's true? All of that stuff? No. What's true in God's word about that teenage girl is this right here. 
that God created that young woman in His image and that Jesus Christ, heaven's most prized possession, gave Himself and died on a cross because that girl was worth it. And so if the truth is that, if I set my mind as a 17-year-old girl on that kind of truth, ladies and gentlemen, my life won't be conformed to this world. Not only will my mind be transformed, but I will be a transformational human being for all of those people around me. Same thing with boys, young men. Instead of thinking to ourselves that the measure of ourselves is our looks, our athletic skill, our ability to earn an income, the truck we drive, etc., etc., set your mind on things above, okay? I mean, have your truck and exercise and try to look good. Do all the things you want. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not putting all that down, okay? That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to say that if we're going to have a renewed mind, we need to keep our minds set up here. Okay, I had this discussion with Luke yesterday. Luke watches this guy on TV, or excuse me, on YouTube who gives money away. He's got a lot of money, gives a lot of money away. And he said to me something about it. And he said that it was a good thing, you know, that he did this. He acknowledged it was a good thing. And I said, yes, it was. And he said something else. I can't remember exactly what it was. And it launched me into a dad discussion. And I had to explain to my son. I had to show him. Set his mind on truth. That people are not worth their bank account. That's not the measure of a man. You know what Paul said? Paul said in 2 Corinthians, I used to judge Jesus after the flesh. That's what he said about Jesus. He said, I was walking around and I looked at Jesus and I measured him across all the fleshly standards. I said, well, who's his parents? Well, some people say it was an illegitimate thing, and, and you know, and there were peasants and all of that, so he was not worth very much by pedigree. Well, what do his peers say? Well, some of them said he had a devil. Some of them said he was a wine-bibber. Some of them said he was a glutton. Some of them called him the friend of sinners. So a lot of people had bad things to say about him. Well, he wasn't worth very much then. Well, how much money did he have? Well, one time he was trying to explain to someone whether he should pay taxes or not, and he had to go... Pull a magic trick, sort of, and pull a, a, a coin out of a fish's mouth to, to make it happen. He said the foxes have the holes and the birds of the air have their nests and the son of man doesn't have a place to lay his head. So I guess he's not worth very much financially. Paul said, I looked at every standard of evaluation of Jesus Christ and I said to myself, this man's not worth very much. But one day I was on the road to Damascus armed with papers to kill people following him. I saw the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and everything changed. And now I don't judge Jesus after the flesh. Now I know that Jesus is worth more than the whole wide world. He's my creator and redeemer. He's the reason everything exists. He's the one that holds the whole world together. And not only that, but because of what he's done in me and what I see in him, now I look at other people and I don't judge them that way anymore. Now I don't judge people those old, in those old ways. I don't judge them by those former standards. Now when I look at these people, I look at people and I say to myself, do they know Christ or do they not know Christ? If they know Christ, they're my brother or sister. If they don't know Christ, they're not my enemy. I owe them a debt. I owe them the gospel. So it's either you're already my brother and sister or you could be my brother and sister if I would get my act together and share with you the gospel. That's the way the man looked at the world. Everything changes. Everything changes when you 
follow him. So what sort of things are true? Well, how do I know what's true about me? Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. God's word, we've already heard it. When you walk out of this door, there's a little table. And right beside, there's some, there was a sign-up sheet, but right beside it, there's a thing that says, in Christ. Take one of those with you if you don't have it yet. That's the truth about who you are. And on, on the way out the door, there's some, some copies of it there. Then he says, whatsoever things are honorable. Whatsoever things are just. Let me talk about just for a minute. In the Bible, just or justice has to do with doing right by your neighbor. Most of the time, that's what it's about. Read the prophets in the Old Testament. Read the law in the Old Testament. Read Jesus in his discussions of justice. Read Paul and Peter and John in terms of justice. It almost always has to do with just. Amos says, let, righteous, let justice roll down like a river and righteousness like a mighty stream. And when he says that, the next thing he says is, you rich, you have sold the poor for the price of a pair of sandals and you have robbed them. You, you've gleaned everything out of your fields instead of leaving some for the widows and the orphans and the strangers. Where, where is your sense of justice? See, God says, I want justice. I want you to do right by your neighbors. Think on those things that are just when you're dealing with people. Think about what justice is to them. Think about what that is. I didn't say vengeance. I said justice. Justice, not vengeance. Justice is totally different. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. When you want to forgive somebody, you've got to do two things. First thing you got to do is you got to give them their humanity back. You have to say, okay, Wes, you have to start believing about Sean. I'm not just the sin I committed against you. Now, that's how you've been seeing me. You've been looking at me and saying, he's nothing more than a thief. He's nothing more than a thief. And at some point, if you're going to have forgiveness and you're going to walk in wholeness and you're going to be the man God's called you to be and you're going to be free from all of that and unforgiveness and stuff for me, you would have to say, I have to see Sean as more than the stealing that he did. He's more than that. He's more than a thief. He's not nothing more than a thief. He's much more than a thief. He's a, a man who, who potentially bears the image of God, who Jesus bled and died for. He can be my brother in Christ. The first thing I have to do is I have to give them their humanity back. The second thing I have to do is I have to turn over my claim to vengeance and give it, surrender my claim to vengeance over to God's justice. Say, God, you're going to, you'll repay. You'll take care of it. You're putting the whole world to rights. That's what you're doing. You're, you're putting the whole world to rights and you're putting me right so I can help you put the world to rights. That's what, that's what I get to be a part of as a royal priest, as the Bible says. So think about these things, the true, the honorable, the just, the pure. Look, I don't know what would have happened when I was a boy. I don't know what would have happened in the lives of myself and my fellow buddies if we had had access to pornography on the internet. I don't know what would have happened to us. I don't. I know that as teenage boys, all of the things that, um, that you people have access to now, People judging every aspect of your life. You, you, you make a poor decision and you post it. And then you can next week say, 
I renounce that. That was evil. That was wrong. I hate that. I never want to go back there. But then if somebody screenshotted it, it's out there forever and all that stuff. I don't understand how it is to live. And I don't know what would have happened if they'd taken pictures of all the crazy things that I participated in and all the hell that I was involved in as a teenager. I don't know. I don't know what would have happened. I mean, God, God's grace is great. I mean, he'll, he'll help us, but... But I think about, he says to think about what sort of things are pure. I was at a ball game the other day with some boys that I taught at Kennard. And I was at that game. And they noticed a woman over here. And they kind of made a little joke and they looked at me real, real quick. And I watched. And this went on. This went on several times, over and over again. And one of the boys commented to me and he said, you weren't interested. You weren't looking. And I told that young man, I made a covenant with my eyes. I made a covenant with my eyes. God gave me a woman and I serve her. And I serve Jesus by serving her and loving her. And I am a saint who doesn't have to sin in those ways. I don't have to objectify women. When I worked at Albertsons, I was in college and I was stocking the shelves at night. And I didn't tell one of those people. This is what I'm always telling y'all. Don't feel the need to just jump out there and tell people all the time. Don't feel the need to just say, you know, don't say that. Don't do that. Stop doing that. Just do good and let people figure it out. Let them watch you and see something different. I was stocking the shelves at night, you know, the midnight thing. I did that so I could go to school early in the morning and still be home and, 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 and be available in the daytime and stuff for any ministry. And so I was stocking the shelves. I was doing this. I was probably 21, 22. And I was just boom, 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 doing this. And we get breaks, 15-minute breaks twice a night. And we'd go outside and we'd talk. And I could talk sports with the guys. And that was my only way to have any, I mean, that was the only thing I had in common with. And I could talk baseball and football and stuff like that and laugh with them and all that kind of stuff. Because we had that sports thing in common. And we were sitting there, you know, in the middle of the night. Some woman would come. She would be by herself. And she would come on our aisle that we were all, you know, standing on trying to. And they'd all rubberneck and do their thing. And I stayed at my job. I stayed at my job. And I did what I was supposed to do. And one night, about six weeks into my job there, they came to me and they said, hey, we were all sitting around. They were doing their smoke break. I would have go over there and stand about two steps back. I couldn't take it. But they were still doing their smoke break. And I would stand over here. And I would talk to them about baseball and the Rangers and the Cowboys. And nah, I need to get rid of that. And it hadn't been the same since Jerry. John. All, you know, we did all that stuff. We talked, 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 had fun. We did our little games. One day, about six weeks into it, this one guy looked at me and said, hey. He said, what's up with you? And I said, I, what do you mean? And he said, what, what are you? Who are you? What's your deal? And I said, what are you talking about? I hadn't said one word to these people. Not one gospel word. I hadn't said one. I hadn't quoted a scripture. I hadn't prayed in front of them. I hadn't said to them, you need to stop saying that, doing that, acting that way, start doing right. I didn't correct them when they weren't doing what they were supposed to at their job. When the boss went away, I kept on my, stayed on my thing. And I kept, stayed in my lane. You do your thing, I'm going to do mine. I didn't do that. I did not do that. And this guy said, what's up with you, man? Six weeks into it. 
And I said, well, I don't know what you mean. He said, well, like you're a normal guy. And he even said, you know, I mean, you, you talk sports, you play ball, you know, you know. I said, yeah. He said, but like, like you're working when the boss isn't paying attention. I've never heard you, I've never heard you curse. And when the women come in, you don't get into that thing. And I told him, I said, well, I'm, I'm a Christian and, and I also happen to be a, a pastor. And three of them said, I knew it. I knew it. I'm not telling you this stuff to say to you, oh, well, look at him. What a great man of God he is. I am a flawed human being desperately in need of God's grace. Amen. But the Bible says, whatever things are pure, think on those things. And I want to tell you that given the life and history that I lived, the, the way that my life was going, the addictions, the, 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 just the, the devastation of it all, there is hope for another way. Your mind can be renewed. People can change with the help of God, His Spirit, and His Word. And if you don't think your spouse can, you don't think your kid can, I'm here to tell you, sanctify them, Lord, through your truth. Your Word is truth. People can change. People can change. They can do it on their own. But God's Spirit and Word can renew the mind. We can think about things that are pure. And what I would suggest to you, if I can update Jesus' wonderful metaphor of if your hand offends you, cut it off if you're going to steal. If I could say to you today, look, I'm not the preachers preaching doomsday telling you you need to get rid of all of your social media, your, your TVs and all of that stuff or never go to a movie and all that. I'm not, I'm not that guy, but I will tell you this. I'll say it out loud because I'm a pastor and this is a pulpit. It isn't you at your job. And I'm not beating you down as a co-worker somewhere. I'll tell you as a pastor and as a man, I don't watch very much of it anymore. I don't watch very much of it anymore at all. If I can't find something redeemable in it, if I can't find it, I very rarely do it. Look, set your mind on things. If I want to be free from this over here, okay, if God delivers you if he delivers you from, from uh, a, a alcoholism, I mean like a, a, an actual addiction to the stuff, okay? If he delivers you from that, whether it's like instantaneous or whether it's through a process, whatever, however it happens, if that happens for you, ladies and gentlemen, the last thing you need to do in your first year of Christian walk is to go try to win people at a bar. That's the last thing you need to do. Okay? You don't need to put yourself in that position. You don't need to give place to the devil. You don't need to make room for him. Make no provision for the flesh. Amen. Set your mind on things above. If God's called you, he's bringing you out of this, then you need to do what Timothy said, or Paul said to Timothy. Flee! Run as fast as you can away from that stuff. If you, if you spent the last 10 years of your life Abusing meth for the first year at least of your newfound faith in Christ, you need to take all the hours you were using and trying to use, and you need to put that into a gospel centered situation and environment for that first year. You need to run from that stuff as fast as you set your mind on things. What kind of things are above? The true, the honorable, the pure, the just. And finally, he says that. 
If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, I went to this seminar when I was a teenager. It seemed, it seemed kind of over the top. This guy was saying, if someone is, he, he was trying to teach us new language. Like, in other words, if you find me to be wordy, okay, instead of saying he blabs a lot or he's talkative, Bill would say, say he's friendly. Some of you, and at first I thought this is cheese ball. This is cliche. I think that there may be something to it in setting our mind, resetting our minds. Instead of concentrating on the trait in that person that's annoying you, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about that. Concentrate on that. Logisdomai is the Greek word. Set Reflect, contemplate, think on those things. If you're, if you're stuck with your spouse right now, or you're stuck with your kid, or you're stuck with your boss, or a coworker, or a, a student, or whatever, if you're a friend, if you're just stuck, and y'all can't get going, and you can't get past it, find the virtue. Find where the praise is. And concentrate on that. Find that trait in your spouse. Find that trait in your child, in your parent, in your sibling. Find that and concentrate on that. If you say, you don't know them, there's nothing there. Then here's the hope. Here's where you have to put your, your, your thoughts. I owe them the gospel. They have been created in God's image and Jesus died for them. They have potential to become someone. They might become the righteousness of God. Amen. They'll never become that. And I, they'll never become that when, I, when I'm just pouncing on them. I, I'll close with this. When I was in Dallas-Fort Worth all those years, for most of my life, we used to always fret and worry about church on this way. We used to say, oh no, we're, how can we fix this problem of not having accountability? Because our churches were big. We had lots of people. And people were coming from all these different places. So if somebody's coming from Plano, Plano is just a suburb, but it's got hundreds of thousands of people in it. And then somebody else is coming from the colony, and someone else is coming from Frisco. And someone else is driving from Denton. And these are towns that have 200,000 people in them. And so it was like when you would come to church on Sunday, you couldn't tell if anybody, you don't know if they showed up. Maybe they've been gone for a month. Maybe they've been gone for two months. No one even knew. And so we were always fretting and concerned about anonymity. We've got to make sure that there aren't anonymous Christians out there. We've got to make sure that people are plugged in, that they're connected. But when I came down here, that's my mindset because I was thinking that way from all my experience. But when I came down here, I discovered that it is the opposite here. It is the absolute opposite here. And in so many ways, for me, that's been refreshing and a strength. But in this way, it is not helpful. It is not helpful. 
Because in this town and in this region, in these smaller towns down here, let's just say that a 37-year-old man walks in the door on Sunday and he has a made-up mind. And he says, I am not living like that anymore. I know better. God's got something better and I won't change. And he comes to this altar and he responds to an altar call and he pours his life out to God there on the floor and we pray and God releases him from all kinds of stuff and frees him from guilt and shame and everything else. And he gets up and he is full of joy and he's excited and he's ready to go make amends and do what he can and take the world by storm. In that great scenario, in a small town like this, anonymity is not the problem. The problem is, everybody knows what he did when he was 18, when he was 26, two years ago. And they won't let it go. They won't let it go. He'll never change. And I've watched that happen in churches. And I fight that and I combat that. I rebuke that in Amen. Jesus' name in this place. Because if, if people are going to ever have hope, if they're ever going to change, it's going to be in a place like this. And we have to be the agents of that. So if there's any virtue, if there's any praise, think on those things. There's, there's some stuff for you to go home with in the renewing of your mind. God is calling you as a royal priest and priestess not just to forgive you, not just to take you to heaven, but now in the here and today, He is calling you to a renewed mind and He has given you a path in His Word on how to get there. Set your mind on things above. And what are those things? Philippians 4.8. The true, the just, the pure, the honorable, if there's any virtue, if there's any praise. Think on these things. Holy Spirit, search our thoughts and search our hearts now. What is it, Lord? What, what parts of the mind need to be renewed? Some of us have such negative thoughts. We don't think we're going to win. We don't think we're going to succeed. We don't think it's going to work out. We don't think they're going to love us. We don't think this is going to work out. And for those who have that negative, uh, that, that game that the enemy, that deception the enemy plays, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth, God. We can win. We are more than conquerors. If God is for us, who in the world could stand against us? Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. When you go through the flood, you'll not be drowned. When you go through the fl flame, you'll not be burned. For I'm with you. God hasn't given them a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. God, for those of us who are inundated with negative thoughts about ourselves, about our futures, or about someone we love and care about, God, I pray that that will be renewed. Some of us are anxious and afraid of the circumstances. We're walking around expecting the next shoe to fall. When's the next bad thing going to happen? When are we going to get that bad news? God, renew our minds and give us hope, Lord, that you are directing our future. That the future is on the move to us. 
Some of us, Lord, frankly, our thoughts are impure. We're tempted to lie, to cheat, to steal. We're tempted, Father, to... We're tempted to do things that, that we know in our gut, know in our knower, and know in our conscience, and know from your word, and probably from our families and many adults around us, that they are not good, and they are not true, and they are not helpful, and they are not beautiful. But those thoughts are there nonetheless. Just because people have those thoughts, God, does not make them evil people. It doesn't mean that they're irredeemable. Father, the truth is someone needs to tell them they can be free from that. There is deliverance from that. There is hope from that. There is a cleansing that can take place. And they can be set free from that because if they're believers in Christ, then Lord, your word says that they're saints who no longer have to sin. They no longer have to be owned and bound by those thoughts. They also don't have to be beaten down by the enemy with condemnation because they had them in the first place. God, give them hope today. If they start to think there, if they start to go down that road, Father, I pray that you capture those thoughts. We can take captive those thoughts, the Bible said. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We can captivate everything that tries to own our imagination and captivate it, Lord. We can take it captive through Christ. Mostly, Father, that happens by a steady diet of setting our minds on things above, on setting our minds on your word. Now, Father, there may be one this morning who's having thoughts of suicide. They've looked at their life and they've said, what would the world, what would it really matter if I wasn't here? The enemy's lying to them. And saying to them that they're not worth very much. But he is a liar, a father of lies. He comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But Jesus came to give us life and life more abundant. There are reasons to live. Every day that we are alive and breathing is a day of purpose that God gave us. Father, some of us don't think we have met our potential, but Ecclesiastes said, everything is beautiful in its time. God, I pray today that you will show people that you can redeem the time in their life. Years that have been stolen from them, years that they have wasted, God, today you can redeem that time for them. What, we, what it begins with, Lord, is just presenting our bodies, surrendering to you, saying, okay, Lord, my vision of life doesn't work very well. Would you give me a new one? Would you show me who to hang out with? 
Would you give me some friends that will go away I'm trying to go? Will you, will you give me and provide me with some friends, Lord, and show me and give me wisdom so that I stop choosing men or women who are never going to love me the way I deserve to be loved? People who are friends that are going to actually care about me instead of just always what they can get from me. God, I ask you for this in Jesus' name. Listen, church, I know I'm, I'm laboring here right now, but the Holy Spirit's working. He's at work right now. We don't do all of this. We don't do the preparation that we do just so that we can put together some little program and go home. We're here for life transformation. We're here for change. God, your Spirit's doing that right now in some people's hearts. You're opening their hearts and minds to it. Help them to say, I surrender today. God, show me your way. I don't know exactly what this will look like. I don't understand your Bible, your word. I don't understand all these things in the church. I'm not a perfect person. Lord, just remove all that stuff, the obstacles. It doesn't matter. Just help them to get started today. Just say yes to you. Just yes to you. Yes, Lord. So speak to me. Show up in my life and, and, and teach me and help me. God, I'm asking you for that in Jesus' name. Renew our minds. Will you look at me just before we I pronounce a blessing? I offer this so often. Sometimes people take me up on it. Sometimes they don't. I've been right here in this moment before. And I've watched people respond and come to the altar and their lives were changed. I've also been right here in this moment, in this very way. And I have watched, I watched a man one time. He, he was laser locked on what I was saying. And the Holy Spirit was at work in him. And he was wrestling and I saw it. And he got up and he got ready to walk out. And then he stopped. And then he walked a little bit further and he stopped and he stared from the back and he kept looking. And then he went out there to those doors and he stared back at me and he walked out the door. He walked out of here and made a devastating decision. A life changing one. I've said this before, so I'll say it again. I commit to you now. Not just to pray for you in this moment. But I'm willing to use every ounce of our strength, wisdom, knowledge, energy, and every resource the church has to help you to have a renewed mind. So if you want to talk that out, if you need to think that through, if you need to pray that through, you can do that right now when I dismiss some people or and or you don't have to wait till some future time. We can talk this week. It can happen. Okay. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace.